Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. All through the summer, we've been dipping into the Psalms and using them as a kind of springboard or a template to help us engage with God through different life situations. So if you remember, we've looked, among other things, at how to abide with God through your fears, how to abide with him when you just don't feel like it, how to abide with him when you need protection. Uh, Last time around, how to abide with him with song. What we're going to be looking at this morning is how to abide with God when you feel as though you've failed. Like, how do you talk to God when you've seriously messed up and you've hurt others, when you've perhaps dishonoured God, when you feel so ashamed and so guilty? What's it look like to abide in him when you've sinned and you feel disqualified from even knowing him? Well, Psalm 32, as we're going to see, gives us a model for how to pray through these experiences in a way that leaves us stronger than we were before with way more joy and even more confidence in God. And what we're going to see is the key to all of this is confession. Now, quick question. What's your immediate train of thought when you hear that word confession? Is it positive or is it negative? I think probably we tend to view confession as a heavy thing, don't we? It brings thoughts of guilt and condemnation to mind. But in this psalm, it's the complete opposite. It's the root to life and joy and freedom. Now, let's be honest. I think probably we all have our own version of what the good life looks like, don't we? We all have our own view of what will bring us happiness, whether it's a relationship, holidays, wealth, popularity, whatever. But according to David here, who had tasted more than his fair share of the pleasures of life, the route to real joy lies in confession. As he puts it in verse 1, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight and so right out of the gate David is presenting us with someone who is to be envied someone who's living from a place of deep happiness and fulfillment and what characterizes this person who lives the most enviable life is the person who knows they are deeply flawed It's the person who knows they have failed big time, that they know that they need forgiveness, and importantly, they know that they have it. Which is pretty astonishing if you think about it. How joyful, how blessed, how enviable is the person who has this real deep understanding of their character flaws and their failures, and they know that they're not okay, they know they need forgiveness, and they know they have it. The message of this psalm is that the good life is a forgiven life, which is great in theory. But I suggest there are probably three groups of people listening to this right now who are going to reject this message out of hand and as a result miss out on the joy that's on offer here. First group has too high a view of themselves. It's not necessarily they think of themselves as being better than others, it's just 
they don't believe there's anything particularly wrong with them. They're, they're really glad this message is being preached today because there are lots of others who desperately need to hear it. And if that's you, you won't be able to hear the message of Psalm 32 because you're blind to how messed up you really are. But on the flip side, there are a whole bunch of other people who can't hear this because they have too low a view of themselves. And so they think they're beyond forgiveness or true restoration or change. It's like, you don't know what I've done. You, you, you don't know my past. You, you don't know what kind of person I am. And if that's you, you won't be able to hear the confident pronouncement of forgiveness that's available to those who confess because you are so acutely aware of how messed up you really are. Can I just appeal to you? If you fit into either one of those groups of people, either you don't feel like there's anything particularly wrong with you and you don't need forgiveness, or you don't believe God could ever truly forgive someone like you, can I appeal to you to keep listening and to be open, even as I'm speaking, for the Holy Spirit to challenge you and ultimately change you? Because I believe this message could potentially be the most important message you ever hear. Now that being said, as well as thinking of ourselves too highly or too lowly, I think there's another stumbling block that we do need to get out of the way if we're to receive this psalm as good news. And it surrounds the language of disobedience and sin that crops up straight away in verse 1. Let's be honest. This concept of having wronged God and needing forgiveness is not a particularly popular idea in our culture, is it? And for lots of different reasons. The primary one is that the number one sin in our culture isn't disagreeing with God, but disagreeing with someone else's behaviour choices. So moral decisions are reduced to this kind of choose-your-own-adventure where the only rules are, don't tell me what to do. If it feels right, and as long as we're consenting adults and no one's physically injured, then it's got to be morally acceptable. That's the culture we live in, isn't it? And so to step right into the middle of that and say, actually, there is a whole lot more clarity around what's right and wrong than you would like to admit. And your opinion doesn't matter as much as that of your creator. Well, that view isn't popular at all, is it? In fact, it will probably get you into a whole lot of trouble. And so the announcement that forgiveness is available for those who are guilty, that just does not resonate in our culture because there are a whole lot of people who aren't feeling particularly guilty. However, there's an image nestled away here in verse 1 that I believe is incredibly helpful in all of this. The psalmist says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight or whose sin is covered. Now that right there is a completely different picture. Forgiveness, it's all about relationship. You've wronged someone, you need to be forgiven. But if you don't think you've wronged anyone, then that doesn't seem so relevant. But to have your sins put out of sight, to have your failures covered... That's a very different idea. 
and it's particularly powerful even in today's culture. Here's why. If you cast your mind back to the opening chapters of the Bible, there's the whole thing, isn't there, with the tree, with the knowledge of good and evil that they're not supposed to eat from. It's all about whether humans will humbly put themselves under God's wisdom in defining good and evil, or will they seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves. And tragically, Adam and Eve choose the latter. They draw their own lines for what's acceptable behaviour according to their own limited understanding. And what happens the moment they do that? Well, there's this little detail that speaks volumes of the whole human condition. It says their eyes were opened and they realised they were naked. And so they immediately grab some leaves from a tree and try and cover themselves. Now that is a profound story of the entire human condition. I think we all have things, don't we, about ourselves that we don't want others to see, that we don't want others to have unfiltered access to. I mean, can we all agree, some of our worst nightmares surround being uncovered or being found out. Like, if my thought life was available for all of you, totally uncensored, 24-7, that would be horrifying for you as well as for me. Or imagine if there was some glitch with this broadcast and all of your browsing history from your phone suddenly got displayed on the screen for everyone to see. Or you're chatting to a friend about someone else and you're being really critical, spiteful, nasty, venomous, toxic. And then you realise that your phone has auto-dialed them and they've heard every single word. Let's be honest, we all do and think and say things that we'd be ashamed of if others found out. And so a great deal of our effort in our waking hours goes into covering ourselves. There's this front that we feel we've got to put on to control other people's perception of us because if others really knew what was going on, then we'd be deeply ashamed. And so the psalmist is saying, how joyful, how blessed is the person who has lived in disobedience to God and knows they're forgiven and how blessed also is the person who knows all of their shame is covered. Just imagine the freedom that could come from not having to live in secret anymore, to, to not have to cover our tracks anymore, to not have to hide the truth from people any longer. That'd be quite something, wouldn't it? And that's what this prayer is really all about. Verse 2, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And so, whether you're aware that you've wronged God and you feel guilty, or whether you're simply aware that you have stuff in your life that you wouldn't want anyone to know about, this psalm speaks to both of you and says that the way forward is learning the language of confession. Because... Look at what happens when we don't confess. Verse 3, David continues, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. 
day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Now look, some of you know firsthand what this feels like. Maybe it was a decision you made, something you did. You, you knew it was wrong. You, you feel ashamed of it. And you're bottling it up and it's eating away at you. You're, you're hiding something. The guilt is crippling you. But you're too ashamed to say anything to anyone because of what they will think of you. It's like you're trapped and it's exhausting. Imagine the relief if all of that was just flushed away. If you didn't have to cover your tracks anymore. If you, if you didn't carry that fear of being found out. If you were free from the shame or the guilt that is weighing so heavy on you. Our first five shows us the way. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. You notice here, there are three steps to this. Number one, I confessed all my sins to you. So I named it, I spoke it out, I told the truth about it. Second, I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I stopped covering it up. I owned up to the fact there is something to hide because I'm ashamed. And then third, I confess my rebellion to the Lord. I acknowledge it for what it is, rebellion against God himself. Just get it all out there. I know it's hard, it's easier said than done, but it's absolutely the best thing for you because just take a look at God's response to all of this in verse five. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. You forgave me, all my guilt is gone. Now, if you've experienced this, you will know the glorious freedom this brings. If you get all your mess out on the table in an act of confession like this, and you know that the worst of you is out there, and yet God's response is one of complete forgiveness, that is an unbelievably empowering experience. To, to know that God's grace is stronger than anything you can confess to him well that is wonderfully liberating which goes some way to explaining david's exhortation in verse six therefore as a result of all of this let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment for you are my hiding place you protect me from trouble you surround me with songs of victory. Do you notice how confident he is? He's not confident in himself. He's confident in the one in whom he is hiding. He's confident in the one who has shown such grace in forgiving him. And this experience of extravagant, overwhelming grace, well, it leads to lasting change. Now, if all of that isn't your experience, maybe for whatever reason you haven't had the courage to confess your sins, or perhaps you have, but you haven't felt the forgiveness, the grace that the psalmist speaks of here, well, verse 8 provides a bit of an explanation. The Lord says, 
I will guide you along the best pathway for you. I'll advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. What he's getting at here is there is a right way and a wrong way to confess. One always leads to joy, the other always results in sorrow. And he uses the example of a mule to drive home the message, which is fine if you are an experienced donkey rider, but may well require a little bit of explanation if you're not. Basically, the psalmist is describing an animal that will only do the right thing when it hurts. Like you're riding a donkey up a mountain with a steep cliff edge to your left, but the donkey keeps veering towards it. What you have to do in that instance is keep pulling the reins to the right and you have to pull hard enough so the bridle, that, that piece of metal in its mouth, grinds into its gums and hurts so that to avoid pain the donkey is forced to move to the right. That is how to get a donkey to do the right thing. But David here is saying don't be like a donkey. For starters, do not wait until you cannot bear the pain any longer before you finally confess. Because the longer you put it off, the worse the consequences are likely to be. So for your own good, do it straight away and do not delay. And if you only ever confess when you're forced to by your circumstances, then sadly it's unlikely to lead to any lasting change. If we're not genuinely sorry for what we've done or that we've wronged our maker, or all we're really sorry for is ourselves and that we've landed in a bad spot again, then the moment the pain goes away, we'll revert to pulling in the direction we were before and it won't result in any kind of transformation. So, do not be like a senseless mule. The donkey is only really ever focused on itself, doesn't ever consider the consequences of its actions. What it's sorry about is the negative consequences of its behaviour, the bridle cutting into its gums. But the moment the rider lets up on the bridle, what does the donkey do? Once it forgets about the pain, it starts pulling left again. Listen, sometimes God allows a difficult season to cut into our lives as a kind of bit or bridle that pulls us back to him and shows us we need his friendship and love above all else. So if you feel him tugging on the reins right now, if the bridle is beginning to dig in, won't you turn to him and confess everything? Come clean on your motives. Seek help. Allow Jesus to get in there and do real transformational work with his unconditional love and grace. Because until you've tried that, you haven't truly experienced the gospel. The gospel cuts right through those twin lies that you don't need forgiveness, you're basically a good person, that you can never be forgiven, that you're really too far gone. In the words of Tim Keller, 
The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but at the same time more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. The wonderful message of the gospel is that in Christ, God doesn't count our sins against us. As Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now look, there are so many stories represented in the people watching this right now. And I think probably we all have our own version of what would be horrified to have put on the screen for all to see. The question is, what do you do with that? How do you pray through all of that? How do you abide with God when you're feeling that way? And David, in this psalm, shows the way for us as he points to the cross the place where Jesus was given a status and a treatment that he didn't deserve so that you and I are treated and can receive a status that we certainly didn't deserve. So you see, the basis of Christian confession isn't how sorry I feel, certainly not mere regret the mess I've made. The confidence I have to come and confess all of this mess inside of me isn't that I can do something about it, but Christian confession is based purely on what Jesus has done for me that I cannot do for myself. There's this raw honesty about who I am alongside this trusting by faith acknowledgement that there's forgiveness and covering available to me long before I knew it ever existed. And it's perpetually available to me in the future. And all of this removes all questions of whether I need forgiveness or could ever be forgiven. What matters is that the cross happened. If you could just wake up to the fact that the cross was for you, and that has transformative power to heal and change you, then confession becomes a pathway to joy. With David, you'll be able to proclaim, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure.